feel like I should introduce myself this morning. It's good to be back. This is Applewood Community Church. Good. I came earlier in the week. I checked the sign out front, found that I was in the right place, and then I came in and I found that my key still worked to the door, and uh, there, was, there was no other name, there was no name at all on my office door. It was, it was encouraging. It's good to be back. And thank you all for your prayers for us. Man, these have been some crazy, oh, week and a half, especially the last couple of weeks. I am really glad I have only one daughter. <laughs> Phil, Paul, <sighs> my prayers are with you, brothers. Whoa, they're just tiring, those girls, and all that you do for those weddings. But, uh, oh, oh, so, so pretty and so special and so, so fun. Thanks for your prayers. I know that many of you were praying for us and, and supporting us in in so many, many ways. It was great fun, and I'm grateful to, to Randy for his willingness to step in last Sunday in particular. By the way, did you uh, do your assignment, those of you who committed? Some are nodding their heads, some are looking at the floor, some aren't remembering the assignment to read all of 1 Peter. So we won't have a show of hands this morning, but if you haven't done that, then go home and and, and get to it. This morning we want to continue on our journey along this path of learning to grow in our understanding of God, His place and His importance, His, His priority in our lives. And in doing that, we will automatically begin to shrink the place and the importance of people in our lives, and I say that with a qualifier for our sakes. Scripture describes the fear of the Lord versus the fear of people. Fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of people, not. And remember the reason that, that we are, are talking about this is because the fear of the Lord, I think, is really key to living a life that is honoring and glorifying to him, giving God his rightful place. That's what fear of the Lord is all about throughout Scripture. Recognizing him for who he is and giving him his rightful place, we want him to occupy, occupy that, that place of, of priority, that place of importance, that place of, of honor, and, and not people. And I've suggested to you, that whether we think about it in these terms or not, when we put people in, in God's place of honor, and they certainly do not deserve that, but when we've done that, we become idol worshipers. People become our idol of, of choice. We, we begin to value their opinions, uh, their ideas, their position or their, what we perceive as their authority in our lives more than we do that of God. And of course, we, we wouldn't say that that's what we're about, but in reality, that's what happens. We put it another way, we, we look to them to provide for us, to 
to give to us what we think we need. And in doing that, we deny God his rightful place as the one who cares for our every need. We, we fear others because of our perception of their impact and their influence upon our lives. And the reality is this, that as the children of God, we have a heavenly Father who is looking out for our every need, who promises to provide and to care for so that we are not in need of anything from anyone. That's why Proverbs 29.25 states that to fear anyone will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And remember, a snare is a trap. And a trap always takes life. Any of you see that show on TV? It's called Life Below Zero. This is a show about folks who live in remote parts of Alaska. Now, granted, most of Alaska is remote. They live in the most remote of the remote. These people are crazy. But it's fascinating. They are subsistence hunters. And when they set traps, it's not like the people in Boulder set traps for squirrels so that they can take them nicely and go place them in the neighbor's yard somewhere. I mean, these folks are setting traps, and it's the real deal. They either get animals and they live that way, they sell pelts, or they die. The fear of people is a life below zero trap. It takes life. It leads to death at a lot of levels. I think the reason that we fear others so often is due to a misunderstanding of human need on our part or what we think we need. We behave in relationship to others in ways that that indicate that whether we're conscious of it or not, we believe that they hold something that we must have in order to live a whole life satisfied, safe, comfortable life. Now, we've, we've talked about these kinds of things in the past at different times, but I think this morning it's, it's important and it, and it deserves a, a refresher because it, it really does drive our fear of people, our perception of, of need. And, and, I, and I want you to know that, that I fully expect that, that you might disagree with me this morning. And, and that's okay. You have a right to be wrong. It's, you're, you're entitled to that. But seriously, I think that this is, is so, so fundamental, and yet I recognize that, that it's looking at relationships perhaps through a different lens between ourselves and, and others, and, and specifically between God's people and others, the relationships that they have with others. And, and you might go away this morning thinking, you know, I'm not so sure about that, and and that's okay. Um, if you respond that way, then it's good because you're, you're, in, you're engaging and, and you're thinking about it. Go and, and search the scriptures. Find the truth in this, I think, very important arena of our lives. The word, the word need can be a bit slippery. 
terms of what we mean when we use it. If I were to ask you this morning, what is it that you need? Your response would probably vary this morning versus yesterday morning or tomorrow morning. Our, our sense of what we need kind of depends upon our situation and, and circumstances. You might say this morning, ah, I have come because I really need to hear from God. Or, in a few minutes, you'll be thinking, I really need for you to get to the point. <laughs> because I really need to get out of here on time today. Or, man, I need a vacation. I really need more money. I need to be loved. When a wife says to her husband, we need to talk, what is she saying? I'm angry at you. Possibly. When her husband responds with, I just need to sit here and relax and watch the game, what is he saying? I really don't care. We could line the men and the women up. Man, what what a discussion that would be. But they both use the word need, but it meant something very different given their framework, the context. I think there's great confusion in our culture between needs and desires. And I think quite often the same confusion exists among God's people because we live in the confused culture that we live in. And a need is defined as something that I must have or I will die. A need is something that I must have or I will die. Physically, I will die. A desire is something that I really want badly. And I'm pretty sure that if I don't get it, I'm going to die. But I won't. It's a desire. You can be sure that if I don't get it, I will be emotionally distraught. I'll be inconvenienced. I'll be disappointed. I'll be angry. But I won't die. And neither will you. Our text this morning, you'll find the bulletin says uh, Matthew chapter 6. I've changed it. We'll reference Matthew 6, but I want us to go back to the beginning. Book of Genesis. The Hebrew word means beginning. And I think that's where we need to start. Genesis gives us the big picture scope, particularly chapter 1, of God's creative activity in bringing the universe and the earth into existence. Plants, animals. And then it ends with those amazing words, let us make human beings in our image. And so God created people in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And then Genesis chapter 2 gives us more detail on that 
creation account. So let's stand together and read what are probably, for many of us, uh, very familiar words. Here we go, together. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. My brothers and sisters, ancient words from the Word of God. Go ahead and be seated. Do you think Adam dreamed while he was having that sleep? That has nothing to do with anything that we're talking about this morning, but it just kind of popped into my head. Okay, Karen, can we put up our slide that has our question this morning? We just read these words. The Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. I want you and your neighbor to discuss just for a minute or two. Why was it not good for the man to be alone? Ladies, we know he would have gotten himself into all kinds of trouble. Go beyond that, okay? Why was it not good for the man to be alone? See what your neighbor thinks. Okay, we ready? What do you think? You really can blame this on your neighbor. Okay. Okay. Did you hear that back there? Made in God's image, God is triune, he's not alone. Okay, good. And then there was the mandate. It's hard to do that fruitful and multiply thing by yourself. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. What else? Yes, suitable helper, rescuer. Rescue that poor guy (laughs) from the mess that he would (laughs) know. I like your use of the word need there. Excellent. (laughs) That's a very good question. Okay. What else? Ha. Did you all hear that? Want to stand up and say that again? It was so good. (laughs) Character of God, male and female. His image is not complete with just one or the other. Believe it or not, ladies, I don't think that biblically you're an afterthought. Okay? What else? What else? Any other? Considerations? Something about, okay, so companionship, intimacy, perhaps, yeah, yeah. Sense of accountability. (laughs) 
more than one perspective on things. And the ladies in our midst would say, and the correct perspective on things. Isn't that right? There's no doubt that the plural is important. You know, it, the community, that it is, it is reflecting that dimension of the character of God. I think, I think how we understand this statement, it is not good for the man to be alone, is really key to our understanding of, of human need and relationships that we have with one another. So <clears throat> let me just go just a, a, a little bit different direction here. Again, open for, uh, open for debate. The scripture, I think, identifies two categories of need, human need. And I, th- I think they're pretty clear. There's the physical category, and there's the spiritual category. We certainly have physical needs. We need food. We need water. We need clothing and shelter, depending upon the climate, of course. And, and that if those needs are not met, we will suffer and, and we'll die. Physically, we'll die without these things if we go uh, long enough. God told Adam in our narrative this morning that he could eat of any tree in the garden except one. So that, that means that, that he needed to eat, to have physical needs as part of the fabric of, of being human. And those needs were provided for by God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells his followers not to run after food and drink and clothing. The language that Jesus couches those words in is a language of of passion, a language of zeal. Don't spend your life pursuing those solutions to your human needs. Jesus went on to say, that's what the pagans do. A pagan is defined as one of a people or a community observing a polytheistic religion. I thought Randy touched on that last Sunday when he talked about the the pantheon of gods in the Roman Empire. There was a god for everything, for harvest and love and fertility. Whatever you needed, you worshipped and you sacrificed to that god in order to get it. Jesus told his followers, don't be like them. You have a heavenly father who knows that you need them. And there's our word, need. Our Heavenly Father knows that we have these needs. Physical needs are legitimate. And Jesus is saying, your Father, as you pursue Him in life, will provide for you. There's no need to spend your life pursuing these things. Now, another biblical category of need, I think, is spiritual. Following our Genesis 2 text this morning comes the fall of humanity. Disobedience became the MO for humanity. And that resulted in a significant spiritual need. Those who were created broke intimate relationship with their holy creator. Ephesians 2, Paul describes this result of humanity apart from that relationship. He describes it as as dead, separated from God, by nature, objects of wrath. 
I think that constitutes a significant need. Would that be fair to say? Once again, it's the gospel. We see God taking the initiative to provide in the face of human need. Romans 5.8 tells us that, that Christ died for the ungodly while they were still ungodly. Sinners. Wow. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter writes that, that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. It's a powerful statement of God's provision for our physical and our spiritual needs, which, which brings us back to our Genesis text and, and what I think is a somewhat dubious third category of need. Physical need taken care of by God. Spiritual need taken care of by God. Why was it not good for man to be alone? Depending on how we navigate this this verse, it can introduce for us a third category of need. That would be of emotional, psychological needs. Needs that can only be met through relationships. And it's precisely, I think, in this area that there exists the potential for people to become huge in our lives. We tend to read into this text an element of of incompleteness. It's not good for the man to be alone. That somehow the man was incomplete or less than he should be without the woman. Now, keep in mind that that the way the text presents this to us is that all of that is happening in what we would call, what theologians refer to as a pre-fall era. There was no sin. We are are led to believe that, that this garden was a paradise. Adam had uninterrupted, unhindered fellowship with God. Sin, as far as the biblical narrative goes, was not a part of his experience yet. And so... I think it's reasonable to assume that Adam was experiencing unbelievable intimacy with his creator. Does that seem reasonable? Does that seem like a situation where he would need anything? I don't think so. So, what could Adam possibly need Physical needs were taken care of. God had provided for those. Spiritual need was was not an issue yet in terms of of New Testament theology and the problem of sin. 
emotional or psychological needs? Is it possible that one could be in a sinless paradise with God and not have everything that they need emotionally? God, you just aren't enough. You kind of you feel that? You see where that sort of takes us if we think in terms of incompleteness. So, so, so why Eve? Why was it not good for Adam to be alone? Karen, can we put up our next slide? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, it is not a widely held view among commentators. But there are some who think that that phrase, to work it and take care of it, really doesn't work, given some of the dynamics of the language and the context of, of what is going on. That word put, that verb, that Hebrew verb, is used elsewhere in the Old Testament when it's talking about placing things in the presence of God so that they may be safe, so that they may be secure. Is it possible that God put the man in the Garden of Eden? Karen, can we have our next slide? To worship and obey. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. So I have to depend upon those who are. But some feel that this is a legitimate and alternative, and they feel a better... I may just have to get rid of this. They feel that it may be a better interpretation of the language that is there. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to worship and obey. Adam was put in the garden to worship and obey, and in obeying God, what did he do? He enjoyed the presence of God. And I want to suggest to you that, that, that the woman was given to Adam to join him in that task. And here's where it gets a little bit dicey. The idea that we were put into the garden to work. It's very much a part of our Protestant Christian work ethic. Let's be honest, we define ourselves by what we do. First time you meet a stranger, one of the questions is, what do you do? And we're polite, and so we don't express it, but we sort of assess their worth depending on what they do. Oh, you're a brain surgeon. Whoa, that's honor. Oh, you're a garbage collector. Not so much. You see, we assess worth with doing. God assesses worth in being. You remember in Exodus chapter 3 when God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. He says, I got work for you. I want you to go back to Israel and address the most powerful man in the world and tell him that the God who's in the burning bush said, let my people go. Moses is thinking, this is suicide. And he says, who shall I tell them has sent me? 
And what was God's response? I am has sent you. Being, the essence of life, has sent you. He could have said, well, yeah, I'm the one who created the earth. The one who flung the stars into the sky. I'm the one who's created everything that you see, but, but the Egyptians all worshipped that stuff. Tell them, I am, has sent you. Brothers and sisters, we are human beings. We are not human doings. And yet so often, if we're, if we're not cautious, we assess our worth and we assess the worth of others on the basis of what they do versus who they are. And I want to say to you this morning, God has not created us to be workers. He's created us to be worshipers. He's created us to be in his presence every moment of every day in the midst of all of the things that we do, we have been created to be worshipers. And the first commandment that we have jokingly said is hard to do by yourself, be fruitful and multiply. Why is that? So that there would be people to take care of the earth? That's where our mind first goes. I think so that the earth would be filled with worshipers of God. You see, what does a perfect, all-loving being like God do? He wants to give himself to those who could benefit from being in his presence. I mean, we could, you know, ontologically, you go back and say, well, why did God create? Who knows? It's not because he was lonely. It's not because he had, didn't have anything better to do. It's not because he needed fellowship. You just got to throw those Sunday school images away. Sorry. God created, I think, I'm speculating, because those who are in his presence see his beauty and enjoy his wonder and are in awe and delight with who God is. Adam was a complete and perfect human being in the presence of God. He lacked nothing. And I think we need to, to really get our, 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 our minds around that. There, there's been a use of this text over the years that, that really is unfair to people who have chosen not to be married. You've chosen to be single. Does that mean you're incomplete? Not at all. Adam lacked nothing. Eve was the same way, lacking nothing. But somehow, the two of them coming together, male and female, reflected more completely the image of God. And it was not because they were emotionally incomplete but because proper worship of God calls for multiple worshipers. Be fruitful. Fill the earth with those who will worship God. Are you with me? I don't smell any smoke, so none of you has gotten firewood and lit a match. Why am I emphasizing this? Okay, get to the point, right? 
I want us to get a grip on the idea of emotional and psychological needs because when we talk about needs, God created, God designed legitimate needs that must be taken care of or we will die. God has promised to meet those needs. Human relationships in the sense of meeting something that's lacking in one another, I don't think is a biblical truth. Human relationships, male and female, reflecting the full image of God, growing out of that and learning more about the image of God from, from multiple others who are worshipers of God, teaches us more of Him and causes us to wonder even more greatly at who He is. And I think that is a big part of God's agenda. God wants His creation and His world to wonder in awe at who He is. And you all show me in my relationships with you more of who God is. And you show one another more of who God is. I'm not convinced that we, that we need people the way that we think we need people. And what happens is, is that we put people in a position of prominence or importance, priority, that whether we recognize it or not, we have allowed them to slip into that category of need meter. And they are not. When we think we need people, you ever done this? We develop expectations. And expectations always get me in trouble. They lead to frustration. They lead to anger. They lead to despair. Because people were not created to meet our needs. God meets our needs. Now, we may have some strong desires But let's be honest and call it what it is. Desire is desire. Again, you may think you're going to die, but you won't. Needs are needs. You look at Romans chapter 1, you have a chance to, to read that this afternoon. Go back and take a look at what Paul says. That downward spiral in Romans chapter 1. Humanity's attempt to sort of recapture what they were created for. Paul says that that although humanity, created beings, although they they knew God, they willingly suppressed the truth about God, and they did not acknowledge God, that's acknowledgement of Him as Creator, or give thanks to Him. But instead, their foolish hearts were darkened, and then just Paul Paul goes on this, this litany of, here's what happened next. And at the bottom of that black spiral is they're worshiping everything and everyone except God. An attempt to to recapture what was lost at the fall. Worship of God. Intimacy with the Creator. Anything and everything but God. And I want to suggest to you this morning that I think 
what drives the concept of emotional and psychological need is selfishness in its purest form. And, and again, there's all kinds of room for conversation here about unhealthy relationships and, 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 and unhealthy persons and, and certainly children Infants don't fall into this category. I'm, I'm assuming a level of, of maturity and understanding here in terms of our, our relationship to Christ, our understanding of who we are in Christ. We're going to do more with that next week, by the way. But I think that in normal functioning folks, <laughs> who's normal, right? What drives the concept of emotional, psychological need is selfishness. It comes from the sin nature. Give you some examples. I need my wife to respect me. Why? Because I'm going to die if she doesn't? Why do I need my wife to respect me? Why do I say it in that way? Because I want her to. Because I feel that I deserve her respect. Because I'm so daggone wonderful, I can't imagine why she wouldn't respect me. You see where this stuff spins you into? I need my wife to respect me so I can feel good about myself. I need my kids to obey me. Do we ever think in terms of, and of course I know you do, do we ever think in terms of our children's obedience for their good versus our reputation? I want my kids to obey me so that you think I'm a pastor who has control of his kids, able to manage his household and his children, in the words of Timothy. They're all adults now, so I'm not responsible for them anymore. I need you to love and respect me. Accept me because that will help me feel like I'm lovable and I'm acceptable and I'm doing the right things. I need to be appreciated and valued because I want you to think that what I do is, is good and that I'm working hard. I, I, I know I'm, I'm simplifying this, but if nothing else what I wanted to do is to explode for you the possibility that in your relationships, you don't need people that are in your life in the way that you think you need those people. When we talk about need, can I say it this way, that I think our greatest need is to need people less and to love them more to need people less and to love them more. Because I think when we need people in that sense of, I'm incomplete and they've got something I have to have. When we need people, it's for us. And and it has to do with me. When we love people as God has loved us, it's for God and His glory. (laughs) You ever think about God's love of sinful people? I mean, what's in it for him? We weren't exactly treasures or a good catch. But yet, in his work of redemption, which points to him, in the deposit of his Holy Spirit in our lives, which points to him, suddenly we become what Paul later goes on to talk about in Ephesians chapter 2 as those works of his grace for which God gets praise for all of eternity. When we love people for God's glory, God becomes huge in our lives because we remember what he has done for us in Christ. 
Charlie, I'm almost done, I promise. (laughs) And we long for that, for them as well. We need to see people as objects of God's love versus encouragement to our self-esteem or validation of our our self-worth. Praise team, come on up. Charlie's ready to be done, and so are we all. Let's, uh, let's praise and, and respond to God. A huge step, I think, in this direction is just to always remember what we say so many times at Applewood. <laughs> Life is not about me. Life is not about you. Life is all about God. God. Creation is all about God and His glory. Humanity is all about God and His glory. And, and our task is not to feel good about ourselves but to feel good about what God has done for us in Christ and to offer that to others, not because they have something that we need, but because we have something in Christ that they need. Amen.